Awesome, man. God is just doing some great things here. And today we're starting a brand new sermon series entitled, We Can Know. And so if you've got your Bibles, let's go to 1 John, which uh, if you're not too familiar, go to the book of Revelation and then kind of take a few pages to the left and then you're gonna be right there. We're gonna be there in the first few verses in here in just a moment. You know, one of the questions that many of us have been asking during uh, COVID and during this political climate is, who can we believe? Who can we really trust and, and who should we really be listening to right now? I mean, if you're like me, this has been one of those years where, you know, we're, we're reminded that who we listen to and what we believe is of utmost importance. I mean, if you watch the news uh, on one station, there's a narrative being preached, flip the channel and on, you know, a different station, there's a completely different narrative being preached and, and shared. If, if a tragic event happens in our country, one politician will explain it this way and then you turn the station and another politician is explaining the exact same situation but an incredibly different uh, narrative right and so who can we believe who can we trust and so we're going through that but what's interesting is that's just a human nature problem in the world the early Christians were experiencing this as well um, we're experiencing it as well as Christians when you uh, open up the internet when you look at your phone, because you know, with the rise of the internet, we have access to all kinds of teachers, all kinds of preachers, all kinds of authors. There are thousands of bloggers out there. And so you're, you're reading, you're listening, and, and, and then one person will write against a certain pastor or author, and, and then there'll be a group that is for that certain pastor or author. And so it's like, who can we believe? Who can we trust? And so it's a good question to ask. And we've gotta be wise. We've got to look at the facts. We've got to look at the word of God. We've got to listen to the Holy Spirit to determine how we're going to respond in a godly way. And let me emphasize that. We always must respond in a godly way. So the early Christians were experiencing the similar things that, that you and I are going through today. They're experiencing and we're experiencing some, some difficulties, understanding and, and, and really processing who they should believe. They were asking, you know, who can we trust and, and, and what teaching should we actually believe? And so the apostle John, the same apostle who wrote the gospel of John, wrote first, second, and third John. He also wrote Revelation. So he wrote a significant part of the New Testament. He writes a letter. Some people call it a sermon. We call it first John because it was the first letter that he wrote. And he is, is helping the early church process some of these things, right? And so the disciples had been spreading the gospel and taking the gospel to that, that Eastern Asia um, area. And, and, and so in that area, churches were, were being planted and, and uh, the gospel was flourishing. But about 50 or 60 years after the resurrection of Jesus, a lot of issues really started to pour into these early churches. And so this is when approximately John wrote this letter. And, and so he addresses the problems that they're going through. And, and what had happened was there were some leaders that, that had come into the church and they were, they were sharing some things and teaching some things about Jesus that the apostles had you know, completely uh, taught them something different. So John, the early apostles come in, they're teaching who Jesus is, uh, what he did and, and, and how we should live our life. 
And so then these other teachers kind of slipped in and were teaching that Jesus wasn't fully God, that he wasn't fully man. We're gonna learn a host of other things through this book that they were, they were teaching. And so he's combating some of these negative, false teachings. But the early church, they were saying, who can we believe? Who should we trust? Should we believe John? Should we believe these guys? Should we believe Paul? Should we believe what they wrote? Or these other guys, they, they, have, they have a good case. And so they're confused. Who can we trust? Who can we believe? Are we really saved? Can we really believe that, that Jesus is the way to heaven? So John is writing this letter, helping us solve some of life's most challenging questions. And so I'm excited about the, the, the reality that, that we have an opportunity to know some things. We have an opportunity to, to kind of put the guesswork aside. You don't have to guess if you're a Christian. You don't have to guess if you're saved. You don't have to guess if that salvation is going to be maintained. You don't have to worry about losing that salvation. Why do I say that? How, how do we know that? John writes this letter and he says, you can have confidence in who Jesus is. So you can know what Jesus has done for you. You can know what Jesus wants you to do with your life today. You can know that your salvation is secure. You can know that you have a future home in heaven. You can know what God wants you to do today in 2021 in a post-COVID, almost post-COVID uh, reality, right? He has words for us today. It is true for us today. And just like the early church with their confusion, we have allowed confusion to kind of reign in our hearts specifically, I think, this year. Our focus is a little off. Our attention is a little off. Division in our church is high. Hatred is high. And so John's letter, I felt like, was exactly the kind of letter that we need in our time, in our moment, right here, right now, as, as I believe God has a lot to say to us and for us specifically and what we're facing as a country. And so let's look at 1 John chapter one. We're gonna look at the first four verses today. We're gonna go through this entire letter over the next several weeks. So read ahead, uh, uh, get pumped up about it. Uh, you talk about it in your small groups and with your friends. This is gonna be, I think, a very important series for us as a church. Here's how John starts his letter. Much different than how Paul uh, starts his letters. Uh, he says this, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it <clears throat> and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now, this is a little choppy. It's a, it's a little uh, hard to understand. It's kind of repetitive. And uh, so how do we make sense of all of this? And, and so uh, uh, a few things to kind of help us process this. Very simply, the first thing he is sharing with us is that if you wanna to connect to God, if you wanna have fellowship with God, a relationship with God, you must connect to the, to the message of the apostles. So 
consistently here, he mentions it. He, he's a little repetitive in how he says this. Um, with all the wrong messages that are going around in life today about who Jesus is. More books have been written about Jesus than any other person in the world. More songs, more poems, every, you know, more things have been written about Jesus than anyone in history. So there's not a lack of information out there about Jesus, right? You can, you can Google it and there's plenty of, 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 of people writing about him. But who is he? And with all the different beliefs and all the different teachings that are out there, John is saying, if you want to understand who God is, the creator of the universe, if you want to kind of reckon and understand if there really is a God, if you are kind of questioning if this God has a purpose or who he is or what he wants to do in your life, he says, we have seen him. We have heard him. We were able to touch him with our hands. And the message that he preached and that he shared and that he lived, we proclaim to you. The we in this passage refers to the apostles, the leaders of the church at that time. They wrote the, the, the experience of the eyewitness experience that they had and that they had learned and that they, they saw and they wrote it down. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God used their words to be his very word, and we call it the New Testament. And John starts off by saying, if you want to stop guessing about life, if you want to stop being confused in your life, one of the first ways that you can begin to approach that is to understand that if you want to connect and know who God is, that you will trust and listen to and learn to love and understand and apply the message of the apostles. And so that message, he, he says, starts with, in verse one, this Jesus who is the word of life. So when he says the word of life, he's talking about Jesus. And he says this word of life is from the beginning. He's from the beginning. Now, what does that mean? It means very simply that Jesus is eternal in his deity. So that simply means that, that Jesus was not created at Bethlehem. He didn't become a person uh, on that Christmas night. He wasn't created. He wasn't at one point uh, anointed and became God. He has always been God. There was never a moment when he has not been God. There will never be a moment in the future that he is not fully God. He has eternally existed as God. He is co-equal to God the Father, co-equal to God the Holy Spirit. We call it the Trinity. Easier way to kind of say this is that there was never a time when he was not, and there will never be a time when he will not be. Jesus is eternally God. And so this has huge implications for our life. John is teaching us the deity of Christ here. He is fully God. And at the same time here, he's saying that Jesus is authentic in his humanity. In other words, Jesus is fully man at the same time. I know our pea brains are kind of like, woo, I don't know, man. <laughs> kind of hard for us to grasp the Trinity, right? But this is what the New Testament teaches us over and over again. Jesus is authentic in his humanity, right? And so we saw him, we touched him, we heard him. Jesus was the manifestation of God the Father. 
in human form. He's fully God. And John is saying that he is fully man as well, right? So when John writes the gospel of John, he starts it with chapter one, verse one. And he says, in the beginning was the word. Who is the word? Jesus. And the word Jesus was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning and through him, through Jesus, all things were made. So Jesus is active in creation. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And in Jesus was life and that life was the light of all mankind. So Jesus being fully God, Jesus being fully man, Jesus is the voice of God, the image of God and the full embodiment of God. So he's existed eternally as the physical representation of God. When you read the Old Testament, uh, I wrote several things down. I had to take it out for time's sake. But when Abraham, when um, Jacob is wrestling with, with God, when Abraham is, is, is talking to the Lord, he sees the Lord, right? This is a manifestation of Jesus, right? They call him Theophanies. And so it's not just angels showing up, sometimes they are, but uh, in many cases, it is the physical Jesus showing up and appearing and speaking to uh, folks in the Old Testament. So this is just more evidence that he has existed eternally, not being created in and through Bethlehem. So essentially, what the apostles, the writers of the New Testament are telling us when they are writing these letters is that, guys, we saw him. John is, is, is like saying in, in, in the gospel of John, he, he's saying, I saw him. I, I, I saw a man who was blind and I saw Jesus physically heal this man. He walked away and could see, I saw him do it. In fact, I saw him heal several blind people. It's like Matthew, another one of the disciples, is saying, I saw him uh, literally turn water into wine. Peter is saying, I took my eyes off of him. I thought I was going to drown, but I physically touched his hand. He actually pulled me up out of the water one day. It was incredible. I heard him speak. Thomas he says, man, I, I get labeled as the doubter, but I know you guys doubted too. You guys have doubts, but, but, but I get a bad rap for it. He said, I was doubting that Jesus rose from the grave. I was doubting what everybody was saying too. And then he physically showed up right in front of my face. And I touched the nail scarred hands. He's like, I saw him and I heard him. It was beautiful. It was amazing. He changed people's lives. So, you and I have to choose very carefully who we're gonna to listen to. We have to choose very carefully what we are actually going to believe. And John is saying here, you can trust me. You can trust me. I heard Jesus, I saw Jesus, I'm an eyewitness. There, there were leaders creeping into the church at this time who were rejecting the, the deity of Jesus, the humanity of Jesus. And John is saying, believe my message. Believe what I shared with you. Believe what I am writing down. It's absolutely essential that you get this right about Jesus, about his, his, his full manhood and his full deity. If you get this part of Jesus right, 
it's very likely that in so many other theological ways, you're gonna be able to get it right. But if you get this wrong about Jesus, everything about your life and theology will be wrong. Jesus is not half God, half man. He's not simply part of a man and part of God. He is fully God and he is fully man. And he will eternally exist as the God man. He's not going back to a spirit or a ghost. Like we will see Jesus face to face one day if you're a Christian. You've given your life to him. You will see him coming in the clouds, returning one day, the physical representation of God with a glorified body, or when we leave this world, we will see him face to face in heaven, the physical Jesus, right? So this is essential for our belief, not being created at Bethlehem. He's sent to be with us at Bethlehem. The word became flesh. Now think about that for a minute. Seriously, we don't think enough. We don't take time to think enough. We're too busy and we're, we check out too quickly to look at our phones and we check out to go do the next thing. I'm terrible at it. I can't even sit, sit at a traffic light without looking at my phone or doing something, per, trying to be productive. Um, we're bad about it. But think about the implications about how amazing this is that Jesus is fully God and he is fully man. Like we, we, we find it hard to walk across the street to meet a neighbor that we don't know, let alone leave our home in heaven to come walk around on this filthy earth. Like think about what Jesus did for you. Think about how humbling it must have been for the word that became flesh that created all things to then walk on this dirty, filthy idiotic group of people like me and you. And, and he suffered physical pain. Now imagine that, the God of the universe submitting himself to physical pain. He didn't, he, he, he had never allowed that to happen before that we know of and, and now he is walking into that willingly. And he, he, he's sacrificing himself, he's humbling himself why? So that you and I could have fellowship with God the Father. That as he's leaving heaven, taking on the, 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 the form of man and living a life that is perfect in every way, teaching us and showing us in every way how we too can connect to God the Father. This is amazing. And because of that, because of what he has done for me, for you in life, then that means that everything in our life should be submitted to him. Everything in our life should be about him. The guy that is eternally existing, creating in the beginning, who will exist eternally, who is the word of life. Why would you run from this Jesus? Why would you fight him? Why would you worry, Christian? Why would you allow worry and anxiety to control your heart and mind? Jesus Christ leaving heaven to give us 
life, to give us hope, walking on this earth, fully God, fully man, the word of life, from the beginning, he's got this. And he's got you. And the bigger we can understand who Jesus is, the, the more we can think about this, the more that we can process this, the more that we can, can, can allow the Spirit of God to grow our, our minds to understand the bigness and the vastness of the glory of Jesus Christ, the smaller your problems become. The more you realize that he can, he can take care of that. It's a big deal to me. It's a big deal to you. But in light of how big he is, wow, we can rest today. We can rest today. He's got it. In verse three, he begins to, he, he kind of repeats the same thing here. And he says, that which we have seen, that which we have heard, he says, we proclaim to you. So I take that to mean that we cannot remain silent about this eternal life-giving word. If he is the word of life, then you and I cannot remain silent about this eternal life-giving word. Now, I'm thankful that John and the other apostles didn't remain silent. I'm thankful that they, they didn't say, well, I'm really busy at work. I gotta catch some fish. I gotta take care of the family, man. So I just don't have time to share the word of life. I'm thankful that they didn't say, well, if I talk about this, people are gonna think I'm a little weird, right? I mean, fully God, fully man, eh, I don't know, man. So I don't want people to look at me weird. I'm thankful they didn't have that attitude. I'm thankful that they didn't say, ah, I'm just not real comfortable talking about my faith, you know, just a little uncomfortable with that. I'm thankful that they didn't allow that to creep into their mind. I'm grateful that they shared it. And I promise you, if you'll overcome yourself and you begin to help influence people to Jesus, this life-giving message, they will be grateful to you as well, right? And so if we are understanding this correctly, we realize that if we want fellowship with God, then we're gonna believe and trust in the message of the apostles. It is the written inspired words of God. And John is saying, I testify to this. I proclaim this to you. I heard it, I saw it, I experienced it. I'm gonna share it with you. And he says in verse three that I write this so that you can have fellowship with God and the son. So the vertical relationship, right? So there's a vertical relationship. And he says, so that you would have fellowship with us. Who, who does he mean the us there? The us refers to the apostles, the disciples, the, the, the us is the church, right? And so essentially, secondly, what he is teaching us here is if you wanna connect to God, you must connect to God's people. You'll connect to us. You'll connect to the people of God. It's like one and the same. You can't have connection with God without connection with God's people. You can't be connected to God's people if you're not connected to God. So it refers to us believing the apostles and connecting with God's Church, it means having fellowship with others. Now, fellowship, or we would just maybe even just say relationships, is really an essential part of our salvation experience, right? It's really challenging. Somebody, I, I think it's impossible to say that I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm not connected 
to believers. It's not that being in relationships with, uh, you know, God's people saves you, but it, it really is evidence of that salvation. It just naturally happens. Why is that? Well, because when you become a follower of Christ with Jesus, you get a family. You get a family. You get brothers and sisters in Christ, right? This, this is part of what it means when I am walking with Jesus. I'm, that means I'm walking with other believers. God was not known as a father in the Old Testament. No one really referred to him. It was really in a very limited sense, that understanding. And, 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 and certainly Israel didn't really address God or honor him or worship him as a father. In fact, the idea that God being a father is, is really totally foreign in every single world religion out there, except for Christianity. So what our Savior, our, our Lord and Savior is teaching us and, and, and taught us is that we could refer to and relate to God as our Father. Now don't, no again, don't let that go, oh yeah, I know that. I got that, he's my Father. What else you got, Trent? Think about that. That the creator of the universe has created a world and he didn't just create it and spin it and then back off and say, good luck. It's gonna, it's gonna be really hard and, you know, kind of some good times, but mostly bad, but good luck. No, he wants to relate to, you, to me. He wants to relate to you as a father. He is a good and gracious father. He is a good and loving father. He is kind, he is gentle, he is merciful. And even if you did not have a good earthly father, you have a perfect heavenly father, approachable, right? In every way, he is perfect. And so when you receive Jesus as your Lord and savior, you get God as your father. That is amazing. And, and, and you don't have God as your father if you don't have Jesus, by the way. We ain't just all God's people and he just left. No, 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 We are enemies of God until we have faith in Jesus. And then we get God as a father and then I get brothers and sisters in Christ. The fellowship is what he's talking about here. So for us, when we read the word fellowship, it's the Greek word koinonia. So this is a, an incredible word. It's not just this superficial camaraderie. How's it going? Go balls. It's raining. It's not raining, right? It's not just this kind of how you doing, doing good, feeling great. We lie to each other consistently. That's how I know we're sinners because we lie all the time. How you doing? Fine. No, I'm not fine. My, my, my daughter's graduating from high school. I'm not fine. It's not, not gonna be fine. Maybe one day, but not now, right? So, so how do we get through? Well, koinonia is the answer. You hear us say, uh, growth happens in relationships. Growth happens in koinonia. Growth happens when we are connected. This is not a superficial type of relationship that we're talking about here. This is a spiritual connection. This is a spiritual connection. It's why God doesn't just want you to attend church. He wants you to be the church. He wants you to be in relationships with Christians. He wants you to serve with Christians. He wants you to suffer with Christians. He wants you to pray with Christians, other believers, 
right? We can't know everybody in the room. I can't know everybody on that kind of level in the room or in the world. It doesn't matter what size church you know, you're a part of. If it's a 100-member church or 2,000-member church, it doesn't matter. I can only know a certain amount of people. To really know and to really care for and to really invest. Jesus had 12. I figure I can't get too close to that number because he was Jesus. And neither can you. So that's why we talk about small groups here at Foothills. It's, it's a deeper level of relationship. And that's scary for us because we like to lie and we like to pretend like we're good. If we would just get over ourselves and realize we're not good and we're not okay. And if you are okay, it just means that you're apathetic and don't care, which is not good either. We need help. We need growth. We need more of Jesus. And so we, we, we ask you to be in a small group. This is where you pray for holiness together. Whew. Wouldn't that be great? We pray for holiness together. We confess sin to one another. We encourage each other to overcome those sinful behaviors. Left alone, we don't wanna overcome it. Left alone, we get in a dark mode. We don't see that how it's hurting us. And so we just wanna continue to do it. We think it's, it's good and, and helpful, but no, you need other believers to help you, you know, realize that, man, what you're doing is gonna hurt you. It's gonna, it's, gonna, it's gonna end very bad. Like we need each other for that. We ask each other tough questions. We choose to be open and transparent with one another and vulnerable with one another. Again, all things that are very, very scary for us. Very scary to think about that, isn't it? Why, why is that? Why, why, why are we, all the fears that we have and how we experience in, in our culture, I think is part of that. If you're closed off, if you're inconsistent, if you're superficial, you're never going to experience the level of, of, of depth that the power of the gospel has available to you. Never gonna get there. God has designed you for it. He's wired you for it. Every single one of us and so many Christians, I think, just experience empty, unauthentic relationships, very superficial uh, relationships. And that, that, kind of, that kind of relationship in church is not gonna grow you. That kind of relationship is not gonna open you up to, to the depths of, of grace and mercy and power of the Holy Spirit in your life. If you refuse to open yourself up, it will be a spiritual lid for your growth. You won't be able to get past a certain level. You'll just maintain that. It, you may maintain that. My, my, my thing is if you're not growing forward, you're going backwards. So if you refuse to open yourself up, you refuse to walk in the light as Jesus has called us to, and we miss the opportunities that God wants us to experience. Listen, just showing up on Sundays doesn't mean that you're growing up. Just because you watch online doesn't mean that you can check any kind of spiritual box. Very needed, very helpful, hopefully, but we need from this the koinonia to say, man, how do I live this out? Because my wife and I fight like cats and dogs. God calls me to love my neighbor. I'm having a hard time loving my wife. Hmm. You hear us say growth happens in relationships. We believe that. It is a biblical concept in a group, um, 
you're able to experience the opportunity to grow. It's still up to you. Your leader can't make you grow. I can't make you grow. Your wife can't make you grow. Only you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can grow. You've got to make that decision and, and, and push into that. So if you're not in a small group, get in a small group. Begin to experience what the koinonia is that he talks about here. Um, if you are in a small group and don't feel like you're growing, ask your leader, hey, push me harder. I need to be pushed harder. Um, I need someone to spend more time with me. I don't know. Have that conversation. If you're a leader and that scares you, I don't know what to do. We're here to help. Barbara, that's what we do all week. It's why we don't have, you know, marriage conferences constantly or all kinds of just different events every week or every month. And it's why we keep that, that schedule very simple. Why? Because this is what we are hoping to accomplish and do. True fellowship in the church is serving together, suffering together, loving together and working through the, the, the problems that we have and go through. Now, what do we see in the world today? We see a lot of division, we see a lot of hate. And if you disagree with me, boom, cancel. And let's be honest, cancel culture didn't start in 2020. The church created cancel culture as far as I can remember. We've been canceling each other for a long, long time. You offended me, boom, cancel, leaving the church. Dogging you, slandering you, I'm gonna gossip about you. It's not new. <laughs> Why don't we wanna be vulnerable and open in small groups? Because we're afraid of cancel culture in the church. That's an issue. We've gotta overcome that. We're all from time to time guilty of it. If we're honest with each other, we've experienced it. We get offended, we leave. A lot of times even now with the internet, Christians read a, a blog post about a uh, another pastor, boom, cancel, slander, talk bad about a brother in Christ that you don't know, you've never talked to, you don't know the story, some blogger trying to gain followers, <laughs> trying to get more advertisements because this pastor preached a really lovely sermon, doesn't sell, this person might be a heretic, sells. And Christians jump all over and eat it up and then forward it and post it and they don't even know what the heck they're talking about. And then division in the church. Who wants to come to church when we talk like this? It's for the world to look at all the time. Who would wanna be a part of that? What does Jesus pray for in John 17? That you and I would be united. My job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry until the unity of the faith. We haven't reached there. <laughs> I've got a lot of work to do, right? So every single one of us, I think, need to think very carefully about how we engage a culture that is quick to don't like you, disagree with that statement, boom, you're out of my life, boom, I'm talking bad about you, boom, I'm gonna slander you. It is not holy or godly, and it is not how we are to treat brothers and sisters in Christ. So John is obviously writing to a clear, false teaching. They are denying the deity of Jesus. I'll be the first one to say, 
If, if I hear someone denying the deity of, deity of Jesus, like, okay, very clear, right? Very clear. But still, how does Jesus outline confrontation in the Bible? He doesn't say, go to Facebook and blab your mouth. <laughs> Nobody cares really what you think. I, what he calls us to do is have a conversation one-on-one, one-on-one. So I find it hard to condemn somebody if I haven't had a one-on-one. He says, have a one-on-one. If that doesn't work, then have a small group there to confront that person. And if that doesn't work, he says, Let, turn them over to, to Satan. <laughs> and, and, <clears throat> you know, and that's it, right? So, so that's the process. And so often we just, we, we feel like we have the authority to turn somebody who lives in California over to Satan by a blog post. Really? I don't see that anywhere in the Bible, right? And some of you aren't tracking with me. I know this isn't for everybody. It's just for Pharisees that, that live and breathe in the church. It's for hyper moral people. Why do we, why do we cancel? Why does the world cancel? The world cancels because it makes me feel morally higher than everybody else. Why do Christians do that? That makes us feel morally higher than everybody else. So I think when we, when we educate ourselves online, we've gotta be very careful that we're not getting an education in, in, in conspiracy theories versus Christian theology. There's a big difference there, big difference. And we need to tread lightly on who and what we are listening to online. Wouldn't it be great, wouldn't it be great if we were more concerned about building God's kingdom, sharing the gospel, mentoring others, especially the next generation, and less time fighting about fat face mask and uh, wearing mask or no mask or fighting about politics or who's getting a vaccine or not. I think some of us are more concerned with conversations about saving our country than we are about saving our neighbor. And that's been a huge problem in churches all over the country. Make up your mind, I don't know. I'll wait until you do. God did not tell you to build the country. He did not tell you to save America. He told you and me to build his kingdom and he told us to save our neighbors. That's what we should be about. That's what unites us, right? And if we focus on that, here's the beauty. If that's our focus, our country will get better. But if our, our, our attitude and our mentality is to put our country first, then it's not that Jesus comes second, it that, it's, it's that Jesus falls off the page. Because anytime you put something else other than him first, you lose sight of the gospel message and the mission that he's called us to live. If you don't know me very well, <clears throat> you, you would know me, um, you, you would know that I love our country. I'm, I'm, I'm a huge, huge patriot. Like, this is the best country ever, right? And so I, I do want our country to, to, to get better. I, I, I do hope that we would, we would learn to love it, but we don't, we don't love it because it's perfect. We love it because of the ideals 
right, that allow us to in freedom express our faith, which gives us the ability to do what God has called us to do, right? Um, one of my prayers in this series is that we would be united in love and in purpose. All throughout this letter, the divisions are happening. Who should we listen to? And John consistently comes back to the idea of love, 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 right? Um, Benjamin Franklin uh, once wrote this in a letter. <clears throat> this was in 1790. He says, as to Jesus of Nazareth, my opinion of whom you particularly desire, I think the system of morals and his religion, as he left them to us, the best the world ever saw. So what Jesus left us, he left, he left us a system of morals. Whoops, let's go back to that. <clears throat> And he left us a religion. And he said, that's the, the best the world has ever saw or likely to see. But I apprehend it has received various corrupting changes. And I have with most of the present dissenters in England, some doubts as to his divinity. Though it is a question I do not dogmatize upon having never studied it and think it needless to busy myself with it now. A lot of the founding fathers were what we would call deist. They believed in a God, but they did not believe that Jesus was fully man and fully God. And what did I say earlier? If you get that wrong, everything else is wrong. And so Franklin was busy creating a country that we love and God used him to do some, some good things. But I think we have to be careful. It is never ever needless to busy ourselves with Jesus. Every single one of us should in fact be busy with understanding who he is and growing in that wisdom and growing in that knowledge. He closes out this with uh, verse four. He says, I'm writing this essentially so that my joy may be complete. Why does joy have anything to do with it? I'm writing you so my joy will be made complete. When my kids do something that, you know, is, is they're taking a step of faith, they're, they're doing something that God called them to do, makes me happy, would make you happy if your kids did that. If I'm discipling someone, I'm coaching a pastor, they take a step of growth, it brings me joy. Like essentially what John is saying here is he's enjoying the word of life because he's been given life. So his joy is made complete as he shares the message and he, as he sees people grow in their faith. So again, we hit on this several times in Ecclesiastes, like following Jesus is not this boring kind of mundane, crappy life. No, he is the author of life. And so when I experience the word of life, I, am, I recognize I've been given life and that brings me joy in life. That's where true happiness and true joy actually comes from in my life. And so to recap, John's message is that Jesus is fully God. He's sent into the world as a man. He is fully man. And so we know that he lived the perfect life to become the perfect sacrifice, to take our place and to take our punishment, rose on the third day. 
And John is saying, I saw the resurrected Jesus. I heard the resurrected Jesus. I experienced his power. He changed my life. You can believe me. He is a good, godly father. And when you follow and trust him, you get a father, you get a family, and you learn to enjoy your life. And it's life eternal. So the question is, who are you going to spend time listening to today? Who are you gonna spend time listening to this week? Who are you going to believe? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your truth and your word and the message that, that you've given to us in John chapter one, 1 John 1. Guys, we study this book, help us to learn to love you in a deeper way, God, and help us to experience just how grace, gracious you are, that you are our Father. You are calling us to be in relationships. And so, Father, help us to grow in this series, in our love for you, in our love for our church family. Help us, Father, just to be able to take you at your word, to trust and believe it. And I pray for anyone in the room who's never given their life to you. I pray that today would be the day that they make that decision. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Foothills Church. If you made a decision to follow Christ while listening today, or if you have some more questions about what that looks like, then let us know. You can text FC Decision to 97000, or you can head over to foothillschurch.com slash decision. We hope you have a great week.